0: Welcome to Play by Players, an MLSPA podcast. This show is brought to you by the players and is all about the players, both past and present, who have plied their trade in MLS. You'll hear about each player's journey into the
1: game, their careers and life after the game, on the field and off. It's all on the table. Now here's your host, former MLS player, Bobby Boswell. Hey everybody, pretty excited today. We've got uh, one of the real superstars in uh, American soccer and MLS on the podcast. He is a two-time Supporter Shield winner with two different teams, FC Dallas and LAFC. He is an Open Cup champion. He's an MLS All-Star. He's a Best 11 selection. He's uh, played a handful of games for the U.S. Men's National Team. He can score a lot of goals from the defender position, which is a big plus for me not only for fantasy sports but you know as a fellow center back i always like it when uh, when our guys dunk the on the other team so he's been in the player pool for the men's national team since 2017 he's been at the youth national team level uh, every phase of it from i think 17 20 23 and i'd like to welcome to the podcast walker zimmerman
0: wow that was you really hit every accolade there bobby i appreciate that
1: Oh, I didn't hit everyone. I got plenty more. That's just the uh, that's just the synopsis. But I, the the best part of this whole thing is, you know, I always look guys up, and for me, the first thing that I knew it was gonna be good when I looked uh, looked at your Wikipedia page, and I see that your full name is Walker Dwayne Zimmerman. Do people call you Dwayne? Is that a is that a joke going around with some of your friends or no?
0: I try and keep that under wraps a little bit, but now that it's out there and exposed, yeah, I was named after. One of my parents' friends from growing up, an older gentleman who was kind of a mentor figure for them. And so he was kind of getting sick and they named me in honor of him. So it's definitely a, a weird middle name. The spelling gets people every time. And when I tell them, I'm like, my middle name is Dwayne. I'm like, try and spell it. And very rarely has anyone spelled it right the first time.
1: For those that don't know, it's D-W-A-I-N, the big Dwayne Zimmerman on the podcast today. Happy to have him on. So you talked about your family. I was going to talk about Atlanta first, but let's talk about your family. I mean, I always say that uh, center backs are a competitive group. I don't think we've had a more competitive guy on the podcast than you. We can get into that a little bit later. But uh, you grew up in, in quite a sports family. Let's tell us some of the accolades. Your your great grandfather, I think, is where it starts, but it goes it goes forward. T- tell us about some of the athletes you have in your family.
0: Well, there there certainly is a lot of history on on my mom's side. My great grandfather, my grandfather, my great uncle, uh, they all were captains of the Auburn football team. My great aunts in the Tennis Hall of Fame. And then, you know, as we get to my direct family, my oldest brother was a punter at Clemson University for four years. And then my middle brother's kind of somewhat of an intramural legend uh, from GCSU down in Georgia. So definitely, you know, grew up with a lot of athleticism around me. And being the youngest, it kind of made it easy for me because I was always playing against people who were bigger and older. And it was always difficult for me.
1: Yeah, and then you referenced Georgia in there. You grew up in the Atlanta area. When I was growing up, Atlanta was a was an absolute hotbed for soccer specifically, and there were a lot of great players that came out of there. I think there was a little period there where it kind of there weren't as many guys coming out of the Atlanta area, but uh, you're obviously a a powerhouse of a name. Tell me what it was like playing soccer in in the Atlanta area in Region 3 in ODP. There was certainly a lot of talent in Atlanta and like you mentioned Region 3, some
0: of the Older guys who are now in the league, Chris Duvall played at the same club as I did growing up, two years older. He's at Portland now, kind of been around the league. Alec Kahn played with me at Furman. We have like Patrick Mullins, who I remember my first Region 3 ODP camp. You know, I was playing up a year for Georgia and we played Louisiana. And it was at that time I was like, okay, this guy's going to go pro. You know, he's he's got it all. So he was definitely a, a superstar at a young age. And then certainly our, our youth team. So GSA was the club that I played on. We were highly highly successful multiple state cups region championship went to nationals a few times unfortunately lost the U19 final the Will Trap and the Columbus Crew but uh, we certainly had a successful team and and for me I know it's it's changed a little bit with you know the youth soccer setup and now academies being probably the the highest level of youth soccer but I was kind of the last age group I feel like that you could be okay without being a part of an academy system and and still get recruited to colleges and still have a high level of play but now, I mean, I know that youth soccer's, the landscape's kind of changing a little bit.
1: Yeah, for sure. And, and we try not to go too far. You know, had Jimmy Conrad on and he wanted to just talk about the fundamental flaws of the of the system. But I look at guys like you um, and I realize you're saying you were a little before that time, but, um, you know, I still look at you as a success story and I don't want to underplay your, you know, we talk about region three and then the youth national team. You were quite a name at that early level. And, you know, the funny thing to me is I, I didn't even know what the Milk Cup was, but now I do in terms of, I know you were the captain of, of the youth team when y'all went to the Milk Cup. Tell, tell our listeners about some of, the, some of the tournaments you went to as a youth national. I mean, y'all went all over the world, right? Honestly, when I look back
0: at kind of my youth playing days, I mean, those are the highlights for me was any region team trip, any national team trip. I mean, I was fortunate enough to be in middle school and high school traveling literally all over the world getting to see just the most historic places. I mean, one of my favorite trips was Israel uh, was amazing for me, just being able to be at such a historic country. And then like you mentioned, Milk Cup, I mean, the beauty of Northern Ireland and being on the cliffs and playing over in Europe at that age against other countries. I mean, those are the the formative games that you remember playing Netherlands, playing Portugal and, and having these kinds of, of moments as a youth player that kind of inspire you to keep pushing forward because you recognize, okay, I'm not a pro yet, but I'm I'm on the brink of something. Let me not be content and keep pushing and pushing because this is actually the funnest thing of all time. And if this can become my job, then it's really is a dream come true.
1: We talk about your family being kind of having a really big family in in terms of uh, sports background. And then you are having a lot of success at an early age in the game of soccer. Did you did you kind of have the expectation that you were going to go pro? I personally, I never thought I was going to go pro or I'd be good enough. It was just more of a a game I played for fun. But uh, it sounds like at your level, you know, you were already achieving things. Did you have those expectations?
0: Yeah, I think I always tell it this way. I mean, I I love sports. Sports were my whole life, uh, especially, like I said, being the youngest, always having something to prove, competing in everything. And and I grew up playing basketball and baseball as well and was deeply in love with those sports also. And so for me, I, I specifically and vividly remember in second grade, our teachers asked us to write down our dreams for our future jobs. And at the time, I just wrote down professional athlete. It wasn't professional soccer player. It wasn't professional baseball or basketball. I was just professional athlete. I knew I wanted to play sports for a living uh, right behind that was veterinarian. So, you know, that, that obviously didn't happen, but the sports part did. And so I kept playing those those three sports until about eighth grade. And that's when kind of the U14 national team stuff started. And I realized, you know, my best chance of achieving those dreams is is to go all in on soccer. And so had to quit basketball, had to quit baseball. I remember my last year as a as a baseball player, I was just throwing so many curveballs. I didn't care if, if anything happened to my elbow, you know, just out there, maybe 12, 13 years old, just, just chucking some curves. So that was a lot of fun. But then, yeah, I made the decision to go full-time for soccer, realized that was my best chance. Obviously, I love the sport. And then it allowed me to, you know, get private training, do more things on my own, train with older kids, get more sessions in, and ultimately, work my way into those youth national teams, and, and to college, and now at the pro level.
1: When I was in college, uh, Ricardo Clark and Clint Dempsey were there. They were a real powerhouse. John Barry Newsome, which is a name that you might not know, but he was like looked like an NFL linebacker playing forward. You know, so Furman was a was a real powerhouse. What made you decide on wanting to go to Furman?
0: I think a lot of it had to do with with Coach Allison. You know, he came on one of our Region Three ODP trips to Argentina, U uh, fifteen. He was there with Mark Burson, and so we you know, kind of clicked right away on that trip just in terms of how we interacted on, on the pitch, off the pitch, and ultimately uh, created a friendship, and shortly after that trip, um, so my sophomore year of high school, my spring break looked a lot different than a lot of other kids you know, who were going to the beach and kind of having vacations. I rode around the southeast with my parents going on a bunch of unofficial visits, so I went to Furman, Clemson, Duke, Wake Forest, North Carolina kind of all the, the big ACC schools and then Furman was kind of like, you know, the smaller school that I went out, but I, you know, I'd heard really good things. Like you said, you know, Clint Dempsey, Ricardo Clark, these are names that are obviously big in the soccer world and, and Furman holds in high regard. So I ended up going to Furman and, um, you know, immediately fell in love with the campus. Thought it was beautiful, loved meeting the guys on the team. They felt really down to earth, got to watch them train. And then ultimately coach Allison invited me back for an alumni weekend. And so, When I went back to the alumni weekend, he kind of made his pitch and at that point offered me a full ride, which for me and my family and my dad broke down. Uh, Obviously, this is a school that we would not have been able to go to otherwise. And um, no, I was really emotional and, and super excited. And I think the biggest draw for me and Furman was Coach Allison kind of wanted to use me as a catalyst to recruit all of the other youth national team players, region team players to try and and come to Furman, and I I loved that responsibility of trying to bring you know a group together to get it back to where it was in the days of Ricardo Clark, Clint Dempsey, and so we ended up pulling in a top five recruiting class on my incoming freshman year, which at a school like Furman, school of 2,800 to 3,000 students, is is pretty remarkable. So that was a lot of fun.
1: Yeah, and and I focus on on this aspect because, like you said, you were kind of the last you're one of these last guys in this new model, they're almost telling these kids not to go to college. And, you know, I, I can't put a value for me. Some of the best experiences of my life were at college and I made friendships that have lasted forever. I see that now that you're in Nashville, you're a little closer to home. I know that you have friends uh, from college that are in Nashville. Um, what do you say to maybe these kids that are unsure of, you know, the DA academies versus going to college. Like for me, I I think that it's just an invaluable experience to go to college. What do you say to this new model where they're kind of steering kids away from this? Yeah. You know, to be honest, I think
0: it's such an individual case by case basis because there's obviously differing levels of talent and expectation. You know, if, if you're one of the big time prospects and you know that you're going to sign a first team deal. You're not going to go to the USL. You're going to be involved in training every day and and you're going to be a part of the first team. I think for me it's it's a no-brainer to take that chance and try and become a pro younger and get that exposure of what it looks like to compete for paychecks at every at every training session. If you have quality and there's a chance that you could go pro but you're not getting pursued to maybe, you know, be on a first team roster and the, you kind of are only getting a attention from the USL or, or lower leagues or other teams uh, in the lower divisions of Europe, I, I think it's a little bit different where I think you're right. I think I gained a lot in my college experience and, you know, obviously got to enjoy that time meeting, like you said, friends. For me, I met my wife in college. That automatically is, is invaluable. But so for me, I think it, it really does just depend on what it looks like on the other side. You know, if, again, if you're highly recruited one of the top prospects in the country and, and you have first team offers in the league I I think you got to take that up and, and you got to try and become the best player you can be I mean that's my two cents
1: no I think that's a very good point and you know I think for me it's more of we never know you never know right everyone thinks they're going to be a stud and uh, you see it you know having been a seven-year pro now you know there's all kinds of kids that are, are wet behind the ears that come in thinking they're they're the greatest thing that's going to happen and you know it's 3 4 months later they're they're not even uh they're not even dressing or they're not even around but we'll move past that at, at Furman uh, he was an all-American you won male athlete of the year which I think is a pretty cool award you know and then you get a, a generation adidas contract that comes along and and it's too good to pass up and uh going into that that draft in 2013 Uh, you were you know I thought uh, there was I was following that stuff then you were kind of one of the guys talked about could be taken first what were your expectations going into that draft
0: right I mean the draft process for me was honestly so crazy I was injured so I missed the combine and that was a, a different experience because obviously people got their chance to prove you know their abilities at the combine from all in front of all of the coaches like you said my you know projected pick was between you know one and six and it was like if, if you're still on the board at Colorado at six you're gone like you know they're gonna take you and so that's all I heard kind of going into the draft uh, the day before I met with uh, New England who obviously had the first pick I did meet with Colorado and I, I think I might have also met with Vancouver it's kind of hard to, to remember now but all teams that were kind of in that the top six and I didn't meet with anyone outside of those picks and uh, as soon as you know, the fifth pick went, and it wasn't me, I kind of gave my dad a fist pump. Cause I was like, oh man, like I'm gonna go to Colorado. Like I know Denver's a great city. And that was just my expectation. And then literally I didn't get drafted six. And at that moment I was like, oh no, I haven't talked to anyone. I don't know much about any of the other teams, the other coaching staffs, uh, the other front offices. And then thankfully I didn't have to wait too long. I was picked seventh by FC Dallas and went on, like you said, to have, you know, a pretty successful five years where we brought two championships to the club
1: yeah and, and uh, those historians, uh, Andrew Farrell was taken at one, and DeShorn Brown was taken uh, at that sixth spot by Colorado. Uh, he were taken by Shellis Heineman, who said, uh, you know, they didn't expect you to be on the board, uh, kind of a they already had some defense heavy lineup, but uh, with a player like you, they had to take you. So you're nineteen or twenty years old? Uh, tell me, are you excited? Are you nervous? What are you looking forward to and, and walk me through Cohen into Dallas?
0: You know, I was super excited. Um, obviously, this is the moment that you've kind of been waiting for, but kind of had, again, the, the tricky injury that had kept me out of the combine. I was dealing with some uh, athletic pubalgia, uh, which for those listening is just inflammation, essentially of the pubic bone, and like kind of low ab abdominal pain, uh, symptoms that are similar to a sports hernia, and it would just kill me to try and sprint, to kick. And so I literally was, was out for a couple months and then ended up getting my debut in May of that rookie year. And the first two years were tough for me. I ended up having some muscle injuries, um, hamstrings the first two years. And it was really frustrating because in my mind, I had always kind of been healthy. I'd always kind of been you know, expected to be a, a key player for the teams that I was on, which you know isn't different from a lot of people entering the league. Um, they're used to being key players for their teams. But it was a struggle. I mean, mentally, you're frustrated. And so I, I think I only played seven games my, my rookie year, not that many more my sophomore season. And then finally, you know, looking back, it's such a blessing because it it's helped me learn how to take care of my body a little bit better. What exercises work for me, what routines work for me, what kind of treatment I need, stretches I need. And so now it's it's been really positive from from there on. But the first two years were definitely frustrating.
1: Who made it hard on you? I mean, did, was it pretty easy transition? Did you have, you know, someone take you under their wing? Or or was, uh you know, it was kind of a, I don't want to lead you into the Blas Perez conversations, but I mean, what uh, he seemed like from the outside, just a, a pain in the butt to, to play against. I don't know how good of a teammate he was, but I mean, were, did anyone make it hard on you as a young guy? No,
0: to be honest, it was a, a pretty good locker room when I came in. You know, Chris Seitz was obviously there for a while, one of my good buddies, George John and Ugo Himelo were key factors for me in my development, obviously, as center backs, Bobby Warshaw was great in terms of the first couple weeks, just, you know, helping me feel comfortable and acclimated and, and like I had a friend there. So it was really important just for, for guys to, to take in rookies and younger players. And honestly, it's been fun reflecting on my experience. And then whenever we do have younger players come in, it's OK, how can I, you know, treat them the way I wish I would have been treated in my rookie year? And I really was treated well for the most part. You know, one of the, the funny moments for my rookie year that now I try and do if there's ever an opportunity was I think I was sitting on the bench for my very first time and Chris Seitz is next to me. And obviously the trainers kind of have, you know, your six pack of water bottles in front of you and Seitz, you know, just happens to hand me a bottle. I'm obviously thirsty and, you know, excited. It was my first time on the bench. Little did I know he had unscrewed the cap. To where it's just basically resting on top of the bottle and i go to pour and squirt water in my mouth and sure enough i just dump like literally half the bottle all over my uniform all over my shorts and the bench is just they've lost at this point they're absolutely dying laughing i can't believe i got fooled like that so now i try and uh if i'm ever on the bench for you know a rookie being on the bench i try and do the exact same thing
1: that's awesome you know what's crazy is i've never heard that prank uh which just goes to show you how many pranks there are out there from team to team that is incredible so I think uh you know you had some interesting guys there I mean how's your Spanish by the way I mean that's a pretty Latin you know we played a ton of Dallas I played you a handful of times in the rivalry with Houston y'all were a very uh very Latin flavored team
0: for sure and you know especially once Oscar got there and that coaching staff there's a lot of training that's done in Spanish so I would say my soccer Spanish is is really good and I'm actually very comfortable giving direction and, and communicating in Spanish with those players around me. My conversational Spanish, you know, I have to really, really pay attention to understand what's being said, but can pretty much follow the gist of, of the conversation. And then responding is a little bit broken, but, you know, I think they understand at least what I'm trying to say. So I would say my vocabulary is good. My grammar and actual construction of full sentences might be struggling, but. It's definitely been cool to try and learn a second language along the way.
1: And then I also, uh, I think you might be the only player in league history. I'm not sure. I'm sure someone will fact check me on this. Uh, When you got there, David Ferreira was there, right? Yep. And when you left, uh, Jesus Ferreira was there. Is that? Yeah, that's correct. So you literally played with father and son in your stint there, and I don't, I don't think anyone in the league has played with a father son combination. What was that like? Having hey, I knew your dad. I literally uh, shared a locker room with him. I
0: know, right? It is pretty weird. I know at least Hedges was there for both of them. I don't know if anyone else would have been though. I've actually talked to Jesus every time I see him, or like when he came into camp, like hey, how's your dad doing? Like, is he? done playing and is he coaching, you know, what's going on. And so we'll catch up. And I think Jesus is probably like, Oh my gosh, I, f- I forgot that you played with him. but he was truly <laughs> a special talent. Obviously won the M- MVP in 2010 when, when Dallas went to the Western conference final. So I had heard uh, legendary stories of, of David and certainly it was fun watching him play kind of his last year in Dallas and just seeing the ability that he does have in trainings and with his set piece delivery and, and precision and passing and shooting.
1: Awesome. Well, uh, so that group, y'all won a supporter shield, an open cup. You hinted at that with the the hardware. Uh, y'all were, you know, it seems like the Western Conference champions. Uh, you know, an incredibly uh, wonderful defensive unit. You hinted at you playing alongside uh, Matt Hedges. What will you take away from you know those Dallas days? Uh, what what's and you look back on it? What's your what's your your best memory of that group?
0: Well, I think you know a lot of it is, is is off the field as well i really grew a lot as a person i mean you come into the league at 19 and i think i left there at, you know 23 maybe 24. and so there's those are the pretty formative years for me where everyone else is kind of in college and also maturing uh, but having to be on your own so young uh, you do have to grow up a little bit quicker and thankfully dallas i felt like was such a great starting point for me just in terms of how simple of a city it is to to get around The layout of just being able to train and play at the same facility everything is convenient i had a lot of really good friends outside of soccer a really good church community you know life was simple and almost the the perfect place to start i learned a lot about hard work and we we trained so hard under oscar you know that's it's important to learn how to do that and you know whether load management you can get in all that kind of conversation as well but just learning how to work hard, how to be a good professional, and how to kind of overcome adversity because there were a lot of moments for me where I had to kind of overcome adversity in Dallas. And then to be able to do that with a group of guys, win trophies, obviously you're never gonna forget your, your first or really any championship that you win. And so those are some, some pretty fond memories that I have of Dallas.
1: Yeah, and you, you bring up some trials and tribulations. One of those while you were there was the, the Olympic qualifying cycle. You know, I remember specifically the second leg uh, played at in Frisco against Colombia. As we come up to another Olympic qualifying cycle, you know, talk me through the uh, expectations and you know the disappointment of of not making that tournament, and then why have we struggled with it going forward? What what's what's so hard about that tournament that we're struggling with as as U.S. soccer players and U.S. soccer fans?
0: for me there was a lot of frustrations in that cycle just to be to be candid about you know getting released for specific camps from dallas so i ended up not going to some of the camps because of not being released and that's unfortunately with a lot of those camps being outside of the fifa windows is an issue because you know you have certain guys who are going to be released for qualifying tournament for the actual tournament and so that certainly happened to me and was kind of told it wouldn't affect my position with the team and ended up not going to qualifying and so I ended up getting called back in for the home and away leg against Colombia. But I mean, that's a real issue is, is players getting released from clubs and that goes back to the age old international schedule and the FIFA windows and, and what that looks like. But you know, we have such a great group of, of players right now. You know, I got to see a lot of them firsthand at this past January camp. We had a lot of U23 age eligible players who came in, worked hard, competed every single day. And I think really grew a lot and grew the understanding of the game grew their understanding of the culture within U.S. soccer and what's expected of you when you put on that jersey. And so for me, I think that was a, a really big positive was to have those guys in camp, have them ready to wear and, and represent the crest. And I'm, I'm really excited to watch. And hopefully, you know, we'll see what happens with all of this traveling and, and coronavirus, how it affects those camps. But I'm really excited to watch them compete because there's a lot of talent in that group.
1: Yeah, no, it's uh it's definitely exciting time, uh, some optimism, not the coronavirus part, but the optimism that this could be the group. Um you know, and I think we still have those issues, right? Of getting uh players released and getting the quality minutes together and and expecting them if they don't get those minutes to to perform uh, you know, when you could be playing against teams that have had more more time together and, you know, are a little bit uh some of them higher quality players uh across the board, but We'll move past that. I appreciate you touching on that. It's a, a sensitive subject, I know. So let's talk about uh, you. Wind your days down in Dallas. Talk to me about going to LAFC. I mean, what it's expansion team. What are you thinking? How'd you find out? Are you excited? You know, is your is your wife happy? Yeah. So I mean, there's there's definitely two types
0: of trades, and we'll definitely get to those. There are those that are expected, and then those that are unexpected. But um, I essentially went into that off season of 2017 knowing that. You know, I was ready for the next chapter in my career and had had conversations with ownership, with front office, just about how this could be mutually beneficial for the club and for myself and my development. And so I, I knew that there was a strong possibility of of getting traded uh, in that offseason. And, you know, they were great about working with me and making that a possibility. And so as that, you know, off season kind of went on, I essentially had it down to three teams that I knew were heavily interested and that was portland la galaxy and lafc and there was a lot of flip-flopping going on and in, in a short span of you know one day i'd hear you know i think i think you might be going to portland one day it's like no it's pretty much positive you're going to the galaxy and so the way i understand it is is la galaxy had a deal in place to bring me there with fc dallas and at some point lafc came in and that night kind of changed fc dallas's mind and by the morning had secured the trade. And so I found out, you know, about 1030 on a, a random offseason morning that it was going to be LAFC. Whereas, you know, the night before it was really, really looking like I was going to the galaxy. And obviously I was really excited about, you know, playing for Bob. I had heard great things just from some guys at national team camp who had played for him um, from Josie. And I know, you know, Michael had put in a really strong word to Bob for me that I think probably carried a lot of weight with their decision to make that offer to Dallas. and. You know, I was, I was pumped to be a part of an expansion team, to be moving to Los Angeles, to kind of just begin a new life out there, uh, different lifestyle, obviously different team. And then the way that the, the club ended up uh, having success kind of with their support and with their play on the field was incredible to be involved in.
1: Yeah, and I think, you know, from a Dallas perspective, it didn't make a lot of sense to the fans and, you know, people around the league, you know, I think... A lot of times, and we'll, we'll see what happens here with LAFC, but I've been a part of these type of trades uh, as a center back when I think I was a very good center back. I think you're a very good, much better center back, and I think that you can't just say you're going to uh, trade away your your good center backs and expect the result on the field to stay the same because, you know, other than the, the holding midfielder, I think the center backs are the glue that kind of keep the group together, you know, so I think there's a reason that LAFC did so well when you were there, and Dallas uh, kind of fell off a little bit, and you know now here we are. We're in LAFC, or we're in LA with you. Dallas and you know Houston, Columbus. There's certain markets in this league that are not covered very well, and you go from playing in one of those markets where you've had uh you know very very great seasons uh, defensively, and now all of a sudden you're you're shed in the limelight that is LA. You know I see that you're doing all kinds of social media stuff when you get there did you throw out a first pitch? Did I, do I have that right? I
0: did, yeah. I got to throw out a first pitch at the Dodgers game, uh, which was a lot of fun. Was it a strike? Of course. You know, it was a little, little tail on that fastball.
1: You talk about curveballs and playing baseball, you better throw a strike. That, that was something I always wanted to do that ne- I never got to, so I was happy to see that, uh, you know, our guys got to do that. And but tell me, I mean, what's it? Do you feel like you went from a really underserved market in terms of media coverage to uh, you're at the forefront now? You're in the prime time lights. You're able to grow facial hair now. You're you're kind of a, a young, good looking. You're now a man. Do you feel like that was the right transition at the right time for you?
0: Absolutely. I mean, I think it was just the perfect timing, the perfect situation. And you're right about the aspect of kind of the underserved market. Then going to Los Angeles, you know, home of all media and star power and expectation for their sports teams. And so, you know, from the beginning, I think there was that expectation to win, the expectation to win trophies. And, you know, that was made very clear to us. It doesn't matter that you're an expansion team. You, you need to perform and you need to win. And I think we were really fortunate to get the right mix of guys together, the right mix of staff, and then certainly all the work behind the scenes in the years leading up to our first game, where the support by you know, the, the kickoff to that season was there. And it was special to play in the bank under in those environments. And I think they play a big part in why we had, you know, the historic season that we did last year.
1: Yeah, and you guys, you went a Supporter Shield. You crushed pretty much, uh, like, every record uh, from, a, you know, goal scoring to the goal scorer. Y'all were quite a squad, and it's tough. You know, I've been on Supporter Shield winning teams and it's tough to maintain that level and get a good ride in the playoffs. So I know some people will point to that negativity. I don't see it that way. I, I thought y'all were one of the best teams, not only uh, in the points wise, but you were so much fun to watch. You know, you scored a you scored a lot of goals with your head, but you scored a, a banger or two with your feet. As a casual fan. I think everybody likes center backs that score goals, and, and you are uh, you are up there with the best of them. Uh, what makes you so dangerous? What separates you, I guess, from uh, some of the other center backs around the league that don't don't score, or have so much success scoring goals.
0: Well, you know, I, I think it's the desire is certainly there. Um, I bet you would agree with this that every center back likes to think of themselves as a number nine whenever they're in the box. That's always my thinking. Is anytime there's a set piece, anytime there's a corner. I pretty much go up there every time thinking that, okay, this is the one I'm going to (laughs) score, which is, I think the mentality that you have to have, because that leads to the aggressiveness to get onto the ends of uh, certain deliveries. And, you know, it's, it's just a desire at the end of the day to, to get by your man and put yourself in a good spot. And then if the delivery is right, how can you get that on target? So definitely one of my favorite parts of the game is certainly going up top and trying to make something happen. But like you said, yeah, I've been fortunate to score a handful of goals as a center back, and hopefully there's a lot more to come.
1: Yeah, no, I think there is a lot more to come. If what we've seen already here in Nashville is in an any, any indication, you're averaging a goal every other game, uh, so no pressure there. I think you should have scored uh, even more, if we're being honest. I think you missed missed one in Portland, but we don't we don't like to be topical here. We, we like to kind of be broad. Let's talk about this LAFC team. I, I feel like I could have named – Some big names for guys that I consider big names around the league that played in Dallas and the casual fan wouldn't have known who they were. On the other hand, I don't think I have to name players at LAFC. I feel like they get a lot of attention. A lot of people are—it's becoming more on their radar. Give me a good story about a guy that you you either had a good friendship with in L.A. or or maybe someone you battled with that you didn't have a good friendship with. Tell me about the LAFC locker room.
0: You know, I think it's a great locker room. I think there's a a really good mix of— Veteran and youth, of you know domestic and international, and I think a lot of the success of the club really does. Obviously, Carlos, everyone talks about him as a player, uh, but his humility in the locker room is very, very key because you know you can see how some DPS can really affect the narrative of the team. And Carlos tries to stay out of that narrative of being. He knows obviously he's the face of the club, face of the team but the way that he handles himself each and every day is pretty awesome to, to see and he's really generous, um, always willing to to help out in any way that he can. I think a lot of it does really start from him. And then there's the development that we've seen from a lot of players, you know, specifically Latif Blessing and his role coming in and turning into a center mid. Edwards' development from year 1 to year 2 was really really fun to watch seeing Mark being able to, you know, have an MLS All-Star season after all of his Kind of upbringing uh and fighting through the usl and then you got younger guys like tristan blackman and a story on him would be it was may of last year and he hadn't really gotten a run of games um he was frustrated he was annoyed and you know i would say even in training and he would admit this too not quite competing at the level that he knew he was capable of just you know whether it was frustration or not thinking he was going to get the minutes or the call up and we had a conversation in the car we carpooled uh tyler miller myself and tristan carpooled to practice every day and uh i was like look man things can change in an absolute instant you're one injury away from having a run of games and having an opportunity and you need to train to get ready for that you know you can't just walk through it you gotta push yourself and you gotta make sure that you're maximizing what you do every single day because you never know when that moment can come crazy enough beta uh, Stephen Bedeswar goes down with a hamstring injury in Dallas. I think the next week, and then you know I was gone for Gold Cup a lot of the summer. And before you know it, Tristan probably racked up over twenty games, twenty-five games last year after not playing in the first five or six games. And obviously, we've seen his development, his maturity as a player, and his ability to play center back and right back, and how much that did help lSC last year because of whether it was you know injuries to beta or international absences, myself. And so that's just I think a, a testament to LAFC and how they can keep guys engaged when they're not playing weekend in and week out.
1: Yeah, that is important and you know, the depth there, you know, is a John Thorrington's done a great job at at you know, putting some depth in there. Like I said, I still I don't discount uh you never take for granted assuming the guy who's next in line uh can do the job, but I I understand that it is a business. I don't want to get to that part of it just yet. I do want to talk a little bit more about your time in LA, more about your off the field interests and, and what was going on. I, I see that, uh, you know, while you were there, uh, you took on a, a role at UCLA. Tell people what you were doing there. And is this a, a future interest of yours? Or are you just kind of covering your bases and using this to fill your time in a productive way?
0: Oh, that's a great question. Um, UCLA was awesome. That experience for me was, you know, really, really valuable. I'm still you know, thinking about what I want to do after soccer. I know public speaking is an area that I want to pursue. Coaching is obviously an option. And for me, like you said, it is kind of covering your bases.
1: I never said what it was. You you were a volunteer assistant coach at the UCLA with the UCLA men's soccer program. So continue.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So volunteer assistant coach, I had gotten connected with Ryan Jordan. I was actually speaking at an athletes in action shortly after he got the job, we chatted briefly, you know, got introduced to each other. And then a month went by and I was just thinking about, you know, while I had all my free time in the afternoon, I was like, I really wonder if, if I could help out in some kind of way. You know, I'd mentioned to him the first time, like, oh, I'd love to check out training sometime. And, and then I began thinking of what it might look like if there was an opportunity to be around and involved a little bit more. And so I reached back out to him. We, we met up for coffee. And essentially, I, I said, you know, I'd love to be around as, as much as you'll have me. I don't know what that looks like. And we talked through scheduling. And he said, you know, actually, we've been keeping a volunteer assistant spot open. Um, so each college can have one volunteer, uh, so one unpaid staff member. And so he spoke with his assistants. They were really happy to have me on board and involved. And so maybe two to three times a week, I'd go straight from practice over to UCLA for their training or or to their game and really just try and be a resource for the players. And, you know, it was only for a few months, but I could tell right away that I, I do have a passion for coaching, especially at that age level, just being able to connect with players, help them on and off the field. I mean, developing into a person because college is such a good time to mature and grow as a person so still keep up with a few of the guys that I was with at UCLA uh, obviously Milan Oloski is is a player who's now in the MLS signed a homegrown deal with with Salt Lake but it's been great keeping up with him I even trained with him a little bit in the offseason just to kind of prepare him for what was to come and again just try and be a resource for all those guys should they ever have any questions about soccer or about life in general
1: yeah and we, and we you know you talk about public speaking. You talk about being a leader. We talked about you were kind of a leader at the youth level and, you know, learning as you go. And, you know, I think this goes back to, we haven't really touched on on your father uh, being a man of the church, but we, you do talk about athletes in action and you are vocal uh, about your, your faith. And I look at that as a huge positive. I know that I've been in locker rooms where uh, it hasn't always gone over really well, but do you pull a lot of your strength and your leadership from, one, from your father and and two, from from your faith? Yeah, I think
0: a lot of it does come from my faith. I think it plays an important part of my journey, my development as a person, as a man, as a husband. I think it, it is very central to me. You know, it's been great just getting to talk with guys from all these different teams and just hear about what they believe and be open and honest and, and ultimately just have discussions with people. Not not ever trying to force anything on anyone, but just trying to genuinely listen because so often people can get caught up when they, you know, hear about, oh, like this person's really religious. Um, You know, I, I don't know how I feel about that. And really it's just, I just want to listen to people and love people. And ultimately if they have any questions, I want, you know, them to be able to feel like they can come and talk to me. And, you know, I mentioned some of the hard times in Dallas and a lot of what got me through that was was my faith and, you know, just trusting that things are still, you know, God, God's will still is in play. It's not the end of the world being hurt. Uh, I still trust that he's good. And ultimately, just trying to keep a positive mindset like that uh, really goes a long way in terms of just how you approach each and every day and, and doing what you need to do to get healthy or to, to perform or to work hard. And so, yeah, it's been a big part of my life and always fun to have chapel before a game with opposition or with guys on your team. And it really is able to connect some guys who have similar beliefs in that way.
1: That is awesome. And I think you go about it a really good way in that, like, like I said, you're very friendly and, and guys seem to like you all around the league, even though you are uh, quite the opposite of a, you know, a nice guy in terms of being a competitor when you're on the field. I kind of talked about that. I talked about, you know, you working as a volunteer assistant. Your life is kind of developing in L.A. Uh, you're hosting a podcast for the team. Let's talk through what happens next. Walk me through uh, going to Nashville.
0: I'm sure for some of the listeners, you probably heard this story a couple times, but it was out of left field. It was out of the blue for me. I had heard no whispers uh, from my camp, nothing from around the league. And ultimately, I was sitting down eating dinner on a Monday night and had a text, you know, when I finished dinner from our GM, John Thorrington, you know, asking if I was able to talk. So I didn't see that text until about 45 minutes after he sent it. Uh, But then we got connected in the next few minutes uh, as the bachelor was coming on tv was ready to have a great night have a glass of wine and see what peter was going to do with the ladies and then i kind of got the news um, john was like hey this is going to be a really hard conversation and i was like oh my goodness this is actually happening and he's like you no know, we had an offer come in that was we felt like we couldn't say no to and we accepted it and we're going to be sending you to nashville and i was in shock couldn't believe it honestly you're always on pins and needles waiting for him to say what team what city you're going to go to and there was a lot of relief immediately when he said nashville just because my wife and i had even talked about it earlier when they announced they were going to have a team I'm like oh like that'd be that's a good that's a good decision that's a good city it'll be a good club i wouldn't mind ever playing there and and then sure enough you know two years later i'm finding out that i'm heading there in a trade so ultimately there, there was a lot of relief knowing that it was nashville and i think that made it you know the pill easier to swallow and now that I'm here and been around the guys and the staff, um, in the locker room, it's been a really good fit and seemingly a really good time in my life to make this move, which, you know, at the time you, there's always a tinge of rejection or, you know, you're just like kind of questioning why that would happen. But to be honest, it's it's been pretty peaceful and smooth. And I think, you know, my wife and I are really, really excited
1: to be a part of this. Would you have respected him if he had said you are not getting a rose?
0: Oh man, I would have not. I actually, I, I joke with. I it wasn't really a joke with John, but I I mentioned. You know, I hope that you considered where you were sending me. That it wasn't just, a, oh my goodness, we gotta take this offer and not think about Walker as a person and his family and his life. But you know, he he says he did, and you know, I'll I'll hold that and believe that. But again, I am really happy that it did end up being Nashville, and it's it's been such a fun. And seemingly smooth process for me so far.
1: Well, yeah, I, I make a joke about it. It's there's really not much funny about it. I still am bitter about the things that have happened to me. And I don't you're still playing, you know, I think you have a very optimistic approach to how it is. I do think you're in a, a wonderful city. It's one of my favorite cities in this country, you know. And then as far as getting the product right on the field, uh, I think you were you were very blessed in that LAFC you know, they they spent some money and, and some of the players they brought in. I'm not saying that uh, Nashville doesn't have a chance to replicate some of that success, but I definitely think it's not nearly the same environment or the same landscape, you know, being two years later, just the whole, the whole league is different with Tam Gam. And what are your expectations? What would you like to see going forward with Nashville?
0: I'm actually really, really encouraged from our first two games. And I know people can look at the table and say, oh, well, you have zero points. But as we know in soccer, points don't always tell the full picture of the games and you know, while you can kind of give yourself a pat on the back for certain stats and this and that, I know it is all about points, but two games in I'm really encouraged with just how the games have gone. It's been really really solid defensively. It's been solid in the way that we've kind of picked our moments, frustrating in the sense that we haven't capitalized on some of our chances, but you know, we are limiting opponents to to limited chances on goal and Seemingly have our fair share of chances to score and and to win games or to at least get points out of games, so it's early. it's two games in, obviously, we have this postponement for a little while, but i I think we've been prepared. I think we've been ready, and I think the mindset in terms of competing has been really, really positive for these first two games.
1: No, I agree with that, and like I said, I like your optimism. You know, I know you have a wonderful captain and Dax Bacardi love him, didn't love him when I played, but I love him off the field. He's still relatively young in human years, kind of getting older in soccer years. But are you looking at this as uh, you were always kind of paired with someone a little more senior in the center back position? You played with some really good ones. Now you're kind of the veteran center back uh, and the kind of one of the more veteran guys uh, do you look at this uh, as a long-term move? I know things can change ra- rather quickly, but do you look at this as your opportunity to kind of, you know, solidify your yourself in the eyes of the Nashville uh, locals and, and become this leader and bring them to the promised land per se?
0: Yeah, me along with Soccer Moses. <laughs> <don't know> <laughs> That's so. exactly it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I, I really am optimistic about about Nashville and the prospects of being here for A long time i'm always a loyalist i've always been a loyalist and any team or or any organization that's going to believe in me i want to give everything i have back to them and so you know i'm i'm definitely open and ready for you know long-term commitments and like you said anything can happen and that's that is the scary part because and I, i think i mentioned this before but lafc kind of said the same thing to me uh the same things that nashville are saying now in terms of we want you to be our guy. We want to build around you. We want you here for a long time. We want you to be a club legend. And, you know, I heard that all the first time. And then out of the blue, things changed. And I'm not saying that that's the same case here, but, you know, now I'm not 100% sure whenever that is said that, you know, that is going to be the case. And and things change and things happen. But, you know, Nashville has been great in how they've communicated with me, let me know how happy they are to have me on the team and a part of the club. and how they want me to be here. That's always good to hear. And like I said, I'm a loyalist, so hopefully that is the case. And then I will be here for a long time. But, you know, I want to win championships, chase trophies, and I'm I'm hoping that we can continue to grow as a club and, and really make some strides here to make it, you know, a super successful team and organization.
1: Do you have June 27th circled on your calendar or no?
0: I do. I do. I'm, I'm ready to go back to the bank. You know, a lot of really, really good memories for me there. I've always wanted to win so badly there for the fans, and now I just really, really want to win that game as a part of Nashville just to, to be back in that stadium, perform for the fans, and hopefully they'll greet me with open arms. And, and again, all the reactions to that trade have been so nice, and people have been reaching out and been so genuine, and it's been a really, really smooth process. Um, I'm really happy with their respect for me, my respect for them, and um, I definitely can't wait to get back and play at the bank.
1: You've been a part of some head scratchers uh, as far as from an outsider looking in, but I'm hoping you go back there, and I'd love to see you dunk one uh, and make the fans unhappy a little bit. But that's sport.
0: I'd be curious to see their response at that point.
1: Yeah, I always say uh, my goal when I went back to an old club was to make them boo me uh, when I left it, it with a smile with a smile on my face. And business is business. You've had some some interesting things happen, but no one could fault you for wanting to go back there and do that. So I'll wrap this thing up. Walker, listen, man, I think it's awesome uh, that you've made some time for us. You've had a heck of a career so far. I kind of look at you, I don't usually make great analogies, so sorry if this one uh, if this one's bad. I read somewhere you wanted to be a veterinarian at some point and that you have like a pet bunny and, and some things like that. So it got me thinking about, uh, you're talking about spirit animals on, on your podcast. I think you're kind of like Seabiscuit and Seabiscuit was a horse where if he looked at the horse next to him, he would always win. And I think you're kind of this competitive guy that uh, all it takes for you is to, to go out and see what your opponent is and you figure out a way to get it done and a way to win and uh, I hope that that continues throughout your career you've shown it in the past and I hope going forward uh, you're able to continue that success we expect big things out of you I called you a big beautiful man I believe that I think you're the uh, a really good face for Nashville a really good face for U.S. uh, men's soccer right now and you know I'm expecting big things from you and I thank you for spending some time with us today.
0: I'll receive that analogy for sure. I I read Sea Biscuit for the second time again last year, so I'm I'm all on board with that. I love I love the analogy, and I'll try and make you proud. And obviously, you know you were one of the first center backs I got to look up to and play against. And especially with how you joke about the own goals and and all your Twitter banter is is really fun to keep up with. So all the best to you and your fam. Uh, we keep up with you guys. So thanks for having me on. And from center back to center back. Dude, just appreciate you and uh, hope hope to make you proud on the field.
1: Awesome, man. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Have a good one. All right. Thank you. I want to thank Walker for coming on. He's an excellent defender in MLS and for the U.S. men's national team. As I said on the podcast, we expect big things from him. Obviously, he came on right as the season was uh, being shut down due to the coronavirus scare. Um, and we're still in that phase now, but uh, we appreciate him being very candid. And although I think he was a little PC about being traded, you know, no one wants to be traded. I don't care what they say. Everyone wants to be desired. Uh, I do appreciate his answer. He's showing uh, more maturity than, than I did at his age. That's for sure. In the where are they now segment, uh, he mentioned Stephen Keel. He uh, was an MLS player for a long time played at various teams Uh, and then he ended up going on to become the mls social media administrator you can find him hosting uh, e-tournaments he hosts uh, a variety of things he does interviews for mls digital Uh, he's a content creator great interviewer And as always, he has some of the best hair uh, MLS has ever seen, and he continues to uh, wear that wonderful head of hair every day. One of his buddies was George John that was mentioned. George played over 100 games for FC Dallas. Uh, He eventually retired and moved to Seattle. uh, and He works there with a real estate developer, been doing that for the last four years, and is also very big in the Greek community. And I don't mean uh, the fraternity Greek, I mean the Greek Greek. Uh, George is always on social media posting uh, very fun events, dancing, eating, my big fat Greek wedding, but with someone who's uh, gorgeous as a big Greek man and and knows how to have a good time as well. Uh, Also mentioned Bobby Warsaw. Bobby finished playing he wrote a book actually while he was playing so he's a, an author but he ended up becoming uh, a social media guy as well uh, did some different stints at different areas but uh, a lot of you will know him from mlssoccer.com where he was a, a writer he was a host a pundit analyst always giving his opinion sometimes inciting riots with some of his opinions but a uh, very, very opinionated, very intelligent guy. Uh, currently on a hiatus from, uh, from the TV pundit and media stuff. Uh, but that doesn't mean he's not working on something on his own. He's creating virtual soccer uh, clinics and videos uh, to help the youth of, uh, of the U.S. grow their game. Last, and not, uh, last but certainly not least uh, was David Ferreira. I always have a trouble with that name. Believe it or not... At 40 years old, this guy is still playing professional soccer. After he left FC Dallas, he went on to a variety of teams, all in the Colombian League. He plays now currently at Union Magdalena, which is in the second division. But if you add up all his games, don't worry, I did it for you. He's played over 600 professional games, for for club and country. So he is still going strong, giving his son a run for his money, uh, trying to still play the beautiful game. So there's the uh, Where Are They Now segment. I hope you guys enjoyed Walker's uh, interview. I know that it's always fun to have a guy who's still playing come on. We're going to try to do that more uh, and keep a lookout for uh, for some Zoom videos and some different things that we're having to be creative to come up with at MLS, uh, at the MLSPA to get you guys some content while the guys are are currently on a hiatus. So hope everyone's healthy and safe out there. Look forward to talking to you soon. Have a good one. Thank you for listening to Play by Players. Visit playbyplayerspod.com for more episodes or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.